Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. The long-awaited pediatric COVID-19 vaccine of Pfizer-BioNTech has been approved by the FDA for children 5 to 11 years old, and it's 90.7% effective. While the adult vaccine was met with some reluctance, we hope that today we can clear up any confusion that might be there about the pediatric vaccine. There's so many questions that parents have. Is it safe? What do I need to do to prepare my child? Do I need to vaccinate my kid or not? All of these questions will be answered on the latest episode of the Belmont House Call. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. We're here to help you and your families live smarter and healthier lives. Today is November 3rd, 2021. Many parents have been waiting for this podcast and we're so excited to have this discussion today because in today's podcast, you will find out everything you need to know about the pediatric COVID-19 vaccine. And joining us today is Dr. Sandy Patel, a pediatrician at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. The COVID-19 vaccine is here for pediatrics. We were talking about it being available for 5 to 11 years of age. And some of my patients are overjoyed, some are concerned, and then there's others that are just totally against it. I personally am very excited about it. Uh, My 12-year-old niece got her vaccine the day after her birthday. She was proudly posing in front of the mirror uh, with her Band-Aid. And my nephew, who's seven, um, you know, his mother, my sister, plans to give him the vaccine as well as soon as it's available. So I'm generally excited about it. And how how are you feeling about the COVID-19 vaccine being available now from 5 to 11? So definitely speaking as from the perspective of a pediatrician and a mom, my three children have been vaccinated. My youngest, actually, on his 12th birthday, we were getting the vaccine, and that was his birthday present. So (laughs) I know it was so fun. So I'm very, for our pediatric patients ages 5 to 11, I'm actually so optimistic. I'm thrilled, and I'm filled with gratitude that we can start protecting this population. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the vaccine. Let's talk about the study. um, And let's talk about the contents of the vaccine. What is it made of? How is it different than the adult dose? And and sort of some clarification pieces for our listeners. Of course. So first of all, what we need to recognize is that the mRNA vaccines, they actually have been studied for decades. This is a technology that we have been working on for many, many years. So in March of, of this year, we actually had enrolled 4,500 patients of the ages of 5 to 11. Of that number, two-thirds received the vaccine and one-third received the placebo. The data indicated that this vaccine was safe and effective. It was 100% effective for preventing severe complications from COVID-19. That's amazing. That (laughs) is such, you can't do better than that. And out of the two-thirds of the population that were vaccinated, there were three breakthrough cases that were documented and very mild uh, clinical course that they had experienced. So again, amazing data, amazing results. One of my friends, actually, she's a pediatrician in Ohio. She had both of her daughters enrolled in the study. And, um, you know, that's how much she believed in in this vaccine and wanting to be able to prevent this illness um, from affecting our children and continuing to spread throughout the community. So I'm always really reassured when pediatricians 
are having their own family members get vaccinated and are even having their children enrolled in studies. And these studies are very rigorous. I think that's the, the biggest thing that many of our listeners are hesitant because they might think this is new technology, this is a, a new vaccine, and people are okay when it comes to themselves, but when it comes to their children, they just always think twice about it. So um, what you're telling me, it sounds like it's very reassuring. Uh, the data is solid. It's been well studied. And um, I think um, people should feel relatively optimistic about it. Correct. And what we need to realize is that this vaccine has gone through all three stages that needed to be completed. And they even worked on the dosing where there's 10 micrograms, which is a third of the dose that actually patients 12 and older are receiving. They're receiving 30 micrograms. While this population, ages 5 to 11, are receiving 10 micrograms. So it has been studied extensively to find the lowest dose possible to still have that, that patient get a, a strong, robust immune response to the vaccine. I was going to just ask about the dosing. It's, it's still three weeks apart, and it's still a first-time vaccine, and three weeks later, a second vaccine, correct? Yes, it's still the same schedule that we're familiar with. What really reassures me, again, when I'm speaking to patients, is that the, the ingredients of this vaccine, it composes of the mRNA, lipids, sugar, and salt. There is no gluten, there is no eggs, there's no latex, and there's no preservatives. So that's also And there's reassuring. no COVID-19 virus either. <laughs> no, what the technology, what this mRNA vaccine does is it teaches the body how to mount a response, sort of what we say, learn the enemy, how to mount a response if it's ever exposed to COVID-19. The spike protein that COVID-19 has is actually very unique just to COVID-19. So the antibodies that are circulating in our bodies are not going to react anywhere else. It's not going to harm us. It's just going to attack the COVID-19 virus, which I think is very reassuring for families to hear that also. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, a lot of people have the misconception that when you're getting the vaccine, that you're actually getting injected with the virus. And with the mRNA vaccines, this is not the case at all. So you're not getting injected with COVID-19. You're not getting any live virus. Um, but rather, it's the mRNA that helps your body have the response. Correct. It's sort of like it's giving you directions on how to mount a response. It doesn't even enter the nucleus. And what's wonderful and reassuring, again, to hear, within 72 hours, it's degraded by our bodies. Yeah, it's not in our body for years and years, and the people no. are so concerned about that. Um, I do have a question. So some argue that kids don't really get sick from the COVID-19 virus. And so, therefore, it's like, is it really worth giving them the vaccine and sub subjecting them to the possible side effects? What are your thoughts, and what do you say to that? Okay, so first of all, what we really need to look at is... We need to see where we were this summer. We started to see a surge in pediatric patients becoming um, infected with COVID-19. It sort of became the surge of the unvaccinated population. Mm -hmm. Our children were left vulnerable. There was no protection that they had against COVID-19. Children overall have a mild case when they're infected. However, it is important to note that children can, some children can become very sick. They can develop MISC, about 10 to 13% can develop long haul symptoms, which means after 120 days, they're still experiencing fatigue, brain fog, possibly respiratory cardiac complications, side effects. Can you just say what MISC is? Yes, MISC is actually um, multi-system inflammatory syndrome. We typically see it about two to three weeks after a patient has COVID-19 infection. 
sometimes parents don't even know that they actually had the COVID-19 infection. And then they start to present with fever, typical rashes. They actually get sick quickly. And a lot of these patients sometimes need to be in the ICU for close monitoring, for cardiac monitoring, and for um, IVIG therapy. So yes. MISC is definitely something that we are seeing in our pediatric patients. So we need to keep in mind that children can get sick. And also, children, just even if they're asymptomatic, they are spreading the virus. They're allowing this virus to infect others and to mutate and to hence cause more uh, variants to arise. So we do need to look at this as a whole to vaccinate our children to protect them and to protect our community. Yeah, so the thing that's super scary is the fact that you don't know if your child is going to be the one that has mild symptoms or if your child's going to be the one that ends up getting very sick. It seems like it's not really predictable as to who um, gets what kind of reaction to having the COVID-19 virus and that the, the vaccine actually helps prevent the virus. So I think a, as a family physician, I, I would rather take prevention than take the risk. Correct. And you know what we need to recognize is that the side effects of the vaccines has been studied, but the side effects of an actual COVID infection, we don't know how it can affect our child. Yeah. So speaking of side effects, let's talk about some of the side effects of actually getting vaccinated. Can you go through some of them? Of course. So the side effects that we're seeing, especially for the data from the five to 11 year olds, it shows that about within the 24 to 48 hours, 71% have a little bit of pain at the site. 40% are tired for a few days, and 20% may have a mild headache. It's pretty parallel to the side effects that we're seeing with the other with our older uh, pediatric patients. But again, majority of them abate within 48 to 72 hours max. Yeah, and I think also because the dose is much less that with some of the side effects are not being seen as severely as it is in the adult population. And then one other thing I wanted to bring up too is that uh, kids can also get swollen lymph nodes. So the no cause for alarm, it usually goes away within a day or two. Um, so I think these are all just like self-limiting uh, side effects. And, you know, within two days, you're you're over it. Correct. And then, you know what, just in the one point of the study that I really want to bring out to families to take note is that in the two-thirds of the patient that received the vaccine, there was no reported cases of myocarditis. Thanks for bringing that up. I really wanted to talk to you about myocarditis because I think this is the biggest fear amongst the many parents because there have been some reported cases of myocarditis post-vaccination. Um, can you talk about that? Um, how is, how, what are the cases of people that are getting the myocarditis? Who has the biggest risk? And I think it's so reassuring to know that in the study that there were zero cases of myocarditis in the ages of 5 to 11 in the study group. So what we need to kind of remember is that the myocarditis that we're seeing typically present three to four days after getting the vaccine. This is in the patient population 12 and older. It usually is more in the adolescent male population. They present with difficulty breathing, chest tightness. This is a very rare side effect that can happen and it resolves. Their chances in that age group of getting myocarditis from COVID-19 natural infection is higher and getting it myocarditis from the vaccine. Now, the wonderful, important take-home note to know for our population of five to 11-year-old patients is that since the dose is only 10 micrograms compared to 30 micrograms, our hope is that it's a lower dose, so hopefully we will not 
you seeing any concerns with myocarditis if it is dose dependent? And second, that age group immunologically very rarely develop myocarditis. So I feel like those are two strong points to encourage us to not have that concern for, um, in terms of for vaccinating our children. Yeah, so I think in vaccination, the incidence of actually getting myocarditis from a vaccine is 0.002%. So it is extremely low, but I think, you know, the media and, um, uh, you know, a lot of sources just like to really harp on the things that seem scary. And we need to know what's a realistic risk and, you know, what's not. And as you mentioned, if you have COVID-19, you have a much higher risk of actually getting something like myocarditis or long hauler syndrome, as you mentioned. And you know what they also noted is during the trial was that actually the benefit of the vaccine, even if there's a low community prevalence of COVID-19 infection, it still outweighs the risk. So it's definitely important to note that this vaccine is beneficial to the patients, even if there's less COVID-19 circulating. Yeah, I think that's really reassuring. So if people are asking like, are kids going to have to require to get boosters later on? Do you think that this is now going to be an annual vaccine, just like the flu shot? What are your thoughts for this age group? So for this age group, you know, obviously this is still an evolving topic. Things are changing. So at least right now, it's still under investigation. The need for boosters is really going to depend on how the virus mutates, what we're seeing with the virus and what happens, how many variants that arise, and also how we work together in the community to vaccinate as many patients who are eligible. I think that's going to help determine whether we need to recommend boosters for this population. And then what are your thoughts about the availability of the vaccine? Is it going to be available in pediatricians' offices? Um, or I'm hearing more and more about the fact that it can be stored longer for at least up to a month in a regular refrigerator. So definitely the vaccines are rolling out. It's just a matter of, you know, whether you elect to try to wait until they're at your your pediatrician's office, whether you elect to go to the health department, to the hospital, to your local pharmacy. It's sort of what's going to work best for you and of course to make sure that where you do want to get the vaccine that they do have it for your age group absolutely so let's talk a little bit about school so you know many of my friends have kids that are in school and actually i was visiting one of my friends this last week and um there was a COVID 19 exposure and you know the kids had to be sent home and had to get tested because they had similar symptoms and be quarantined and my friend was saying this is just becoming ridiculous kids are getting pulled in and out of school it's not great for the kid and then as a parent i have to take off of work How do you think the vaccine is going to change uh, the new quarantine rules in terms of exposure in school and and the the whole, um, you know, requiring the masks and that type of thing? So again, for this age group, I feel like with the CDC and health department, our recommendations may change. Um, Of course, the hope is, is that just like as our older patients, if there is a true exposure, they are required to just wear a mask indoors, but they can still attend school and they need to get tested on days usually between five and seven. However, for this age group, it's a little too early to determine what's going to happen. We just have to continue to follow what our health department, the CDC, and the school, your local school district recommends. But until that time, we're going to continue recommending the layered approach, which the AAP definitely has talked about, to masking, hand hygiene, and vaccinating all that are eligible. 
So what's the best way to have a conversation with a parent or a family member that's divided about the vaccines? I've been seeing this a lot where I have a mom come in with her kids and say she doesn't know what to do because her husband doesn't want the kids to get vaccinated and she does want them to get vaccinated um, or grandma and grandpa want the kids to get vaccinated, but the parents are not sure. What's the best way to have the conversation about um, in divided households? So the first thing I feel that we need to approach this is that you know, having the choice to vaccinate your child, it's a difficult choice. And I tell families that knowing the science behind it can make it easier. So there's a few things that we can do as providers. Number one is truly actively listen to the family. Families sometimes, they just need to be heard. They just want someone to kind of just listen to them to understand their fears, what's holding them back on deciding to vaccinate their child. Number two is sometimes families just they need to feel empowered. They have a lot of fears about the pandemic and giving them the sense of that there's something you can do to navigate through this pandemic and keep your family safe. Number three is a lot of times, I love this saying, but it's to change, replace misinformation with information. Supply them with facts, supply them with information and try to discuss any myth that they have with facts and information. And lastly, we have to be patient. Sometimes these conversations need to happen a few times before the family really um, is ready to vaccinate their child. But majority of the times, if families are given the information, they take a little time to think about it, and then they, they usually do sway to get the vaccine. So you think it might be a good idea if there is a divided family um, to invite you know, the parent that has the concerns to come speak to their doctor or to the pediatrician about the concerns? Of course they really need to be heard and their concerns need to be addressed. That's going to be the most important step. Yeah, because parents just want to do right by their kids. I think every parent just want to protect their child. And once they do get the facts, I think every parent will want to vaccinate their child because, as we mentioned before, the risks and benefits, um, the benefits outweigh the risks. So, um, and then how do we talk to our children about vaccines, about that they're getting the COVID-19 vaccine? Any suggestions about how parents can prepare their kids for the appointment? So again, you know, this is a very important topic. Uh, number one, I tell families is that as parents, we need to make sure that we're informed, that we have the information. So once parents are informed, number two, children actually, they need to be heard. So I encourage families to, to talk to their child, ask them what their feelings are about the vaccines, what their perceptions are, how do, do they want to get the vaccine or not? They actually have a lot of ideas and sort of notions that need to be discussed. Be honest with your child. Answer their questions appropriately. Prepare them for the visit. And, of course, talk about your own experience getting the vaccine. We're role models for our children. When children hear our own experiences, that definitely sort of alleviates some of the fears that they have. And last, lastly, it's important to note, children truly Getting the vaccine, I always emphasize to the children, like you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your community. And it teaches them empathy. And I feel like they even more are encouraged and inspired to get the vaccine to protect themselves and everyone that they love. Walk us through preparing a child for getting their vaccine. So let's walk through the day. Let's talk about like the night before the vaccine. What should parents be doing? What should kids be doing? And then the day of, Walk us through that and then maybe the, the, the post one or two days. 
Number one, I feel like, again, as parents, we are the role models for our children. The children, our children will follow our lead. So the night before I recommend, of course, a good meal, plenty of sleep, and just a, just a conversation just to say, tomorrow's the day you're going to get your vaccine and the day of the vaccine. Have your child wake up, have them have a, a, a good meal, plenty of fluids, maybe wear a favorite mask to get their vaccine. Talk about everybody that they're going to protect, including themselves, because they're getting the vaccine. I even tell pediatric patients, it's like you have a shield and you're able to protect yourself. So that's definitely some good sets to kind of have a good mindset walking into the vaccine. I think that's very important. Of course, being honest that the very small needle, you're going to feel a quick hope and then it's going to abate. And within, and so that's something I think a conversation because kids have a lot of needle anxiety. So definitely at the injection site, there's going to be a little bit of pain that they're going to feel as they're getting injected. But again, it's going to go away. It's very short lived. And just another suggestion, just on the side, I actually even recommend sometimes bringing a little ice pack if they want to. Mm -hmm. um, just so after the vaccine, I think sometimes it gives children a sense of, I can put something on my arm or my thigh. I can do something to make it feel a little bit better. Yeah, so I also wanted to, a lot of parents are asking, is it going to be administered into the arm or into the thigh, or can they choose, and does it have to be the right side or left side? So majority um, of the patients for this age group, this is an intramuscular vaccine. So usually the preferred location is the thigh. However, it's of course going to depend, and there's there's a lot of variables. It's going to depend on the size of the child. It's going to depend on the family's um, wishes and the child's feeling about where they want the vaccine. But majority of the time, I am injections in this age group. We do try to aim for the thigh if they can tolerate it. Okay. So maybe the younger ones, uh, closer to five, six, might get it in the thigh. And as, as they're older, mm -hmm. 11 or 10, they may get it in the arm. Right. Depending on right, their size and their muscle mass. But The next two days, what should they expect? I do think it's important to tell kids that because you're getting this vaccine, your body is becoming stronger and it's helping you build in a, a response. You're able to get in a fight off COVID-19. So when that happens, your body may feel a little tired. You may have a little headache. You may feel a little achy, get a little bit of a fever. I tell them the next two days, we're not going to have a, a heavy schedule at home. We're going to just allow for plenty of fluids, rest. You can reach out to your pediatrician if you feel like your child, you know, is really just achy and comfortable and needs to take a dose of Tylenol. However, you know, we definitely recommend just plenty of rest and fluids. Kids are so resilient and they've been fighting through this pandemic. And it's, it's so funny when I talk to my pediatric patients, they're always just like, I want to help. I want to do something yeah. to end this pandemic because they've been the ones suffering the most, you know, through this entire thing. And I think um, we all have an obligation. We owe it to our kids uh, to help get this thing over with. I mean, think about how many adults are just struggling with this pandemic. Our, our kids are struggling so much more. And so the, the sooner we get this virus under control, the better for everyone. Truthfully, when we look back, there's so many losses our children have suffered. I mean, from school days to play dates mm -hmm. to, you know, missed therapies that are needed to financial hardships. And also another thing is that the anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. we talk about the medical aspects, but sometimes we also need to talk about the mental health issues that we're seeing in our patients. So this vaccine is really the most consistent and reliable way 
to navigate and end this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What are some last pieces of advice you have regarding the vaccine? Is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you wanted to bring up or um, any last thoughts? When you get the vaccine, just think about it this way. You're protecting your child from from themselves getting sick, getting any long-term complications, being hospitalized. Number two, you're protecting your community. I love it when this little child told me he wanted to get the vaccine to protect the ice cream man that drives by and gets some ice cream. So you're gonna, it encourages people, we need to realize we need to protect our community. Number three, it's going to decrease how many variants that are arising. If we want to end this pandemic, we have to stop this virus from mutating. Number four is, of course, hopefully we can decrease missed school days and get our children back to the pre-pandemic days of learning and social interactions. I think we're all counting down for that. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel, for joining us and for all of your expertise. And um, hopefully we'll be we'll be done with this pandemic soon and we can talk about something else other than COVID-19. Thank you so much. I know I am definitely looking towards uh, hugging everyone and just being able to safely interact with family and friends and, and keeping our kids safe. Thank you so much. Take care. We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at Beaumont.org. Dr. Gilpin and I are always scouting for new questions to answer in our mailbag. We leave you today with this healthy thought. When this pandemic first began, many of us were just hoping for a cure or some way to prevent it. And with the science of today, we've come such a long way and we have a safe and effective vaccine available for everyone over the age of five. Remember, 39% of pediatric cases that occurred, occurred between the age of five and 11. As of October 17th, 691 deaths from COVID-19 have been reported in the United States in kids under 18. One death is just one too many for this disease, and now it's preventable. Dr. Patel talked about the benefits of children receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. There are so many benefits that outweigh the risks. Our kids have been struggling through this pandemic and they just want to join the fight. If you have questions, ask your doctor. If you want to protect your child and get us one step closer to a COVID-free world, get your child vaccinated today. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.